Okay, so like I said before, the title of the seminar is When God's Plans Don't Match Our Plans. So when Chris um, asked me whether I'd do a seminar, he said, oh, it's open-ended, you can choose whatever, which is not really helpful, to be perfectly honest. So I prayed a little bit, I got my family to pray a little bit, and I asked my wonderful friend Kathy whether she could have a little think about what I could do. And everybody came back with the same thing. So I thought, oh, that's what I need to do. Great. Because actually, I don't like being personal and I don't like being vulnerable. That's not me. I'm a big war person. Yeah. And so I knew that that is what God wanted me to do because it's not what I'm comfortable with. So if you'd have said, Rachel, do you want to preach on Revelation? I'd have preached on Revelation. If you wanted me to do, why does God allow suffering? I've got that talk. I would have done that for you. So being personal and vulnerable is really difficult for me, but hopefully we'll get through this. So it's when God's plans don't match our plans. And when I'm talking about the fact that it's my story, we kind of all know that it's not my story, is it really? It's God's story. And it's part of my journey um, with my incredible God, whose plans are really perfect, but they're really, really different from the plans that I had for myself. (laughs) So if we'd been following my plan, I would definitely be happily married and I'd be a stay-at-home mum and I'd have five kids. Everybody with kids now is going, she's bonkers. Five kids? Yeah. No, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be happily married. Again, I'm not sure whether that happens. And I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum and I wanted five kids. Instead, I'm standing before you at nearly 40, being single and a very overworked mum of one. So that's not exactly what I had in mind. So for many years, I kind of struggled with this idea that singleness was a gift. The Bible says it's a gift. Ever been given a gift that you did not like and you wanted to give back? Yeah. So for a long time, this was, I was like, God, where's the gift receipt? Because I would like to return it to you. I don't want this anymore. And I didn't see how being single could be God's plan or purpose for me. Because it wasn't my plan and it wasn't my purpose in my in my opinion. So how could it be God's? And so... I went through a kind of phase in my early 20s of thinking, well, that's okay. I'm only in my early 20s. It's all right. There's still time to find someone. Actually, when you're a Christian and you're still single in your early 20s, there's not a lot of Christian men left, to be perfectly honest, because there's not that many men in the church versus how many women. So statistically speaking, being in your early 20s and being single as a Christian is not good news. In, In the rest of the world, it's all right to be early 20s and single, but not if you're a Christian. So I was a little bit like, no, it's not too bad. I'll get through this. And then in my mid-twenties, that kind of turned to slightly mild panic that I was still not married. And actually, when I looked around in the church, everybody that was left was slightly odd. And I'm thinking, ooh, you're odd. And I kind of thought, I remember having a conversation with my friend Helen, and she goes, yeah, but all the weird ones are left. And I said, Helen, what does that say about you and me? Because we are also left. Hmm. So, and then when I got to say maybe my late 20s, it turned from mild panic into total meltdown that I had not got married, that I had not achieved something that nearly everybody else that I knew had managed to achieve. Yeah. So I went through, and this I think when I talk to my friends is kind of bulk standard for single people. This is kind of what we go through. So I went through the phase of looking for a man. So every Christian event I went to, he's nice, wedding ring, is there a wedding ring, is there a wedding ring? Ah, move past, go and find somebody else. Or you'd be at worship and you'd be looking at the guy playing the guitar thinking, oh, he's lovely. Can I see a band? He's playing too fast, I can't see the band, I'll wait till afterwards, yeah? And kind of all that did was every time I went somewhere, I was looking to see whether I would meet my husband 
And so I didn't look to see whether I would meet my God. So it's really difficult to worship if you're thinking that the drummer's fit and you're wondering whether he'd marry you and have five kids with you instead of actually thinking about, oh, and have enough money so I could stay at home as well. Um, so you're not focusing on God. And so there was, that was quite a difficult time for me, losing sort of sight of why I would be going to church and why I would be going to Christian events because I was looking for my husband. And then I went through another phase where I thought, well, there must be something wrong with me. So I need to change me. So I thought, uh, I'll stop dressing like a student. I'm in my mid-twenties now. It was nice that people used to come up to me in church and say, what are you studying? I'd be like, result. I'm still young. And then I thought, actually, okay, I'll just change the way I look. Maybe that's why I'm not getting a man, because I look like I'm 19 instead of 25. So I did that. And then I also hit upon the genius idea. I needed to learn to bake. Because every Christian woman that I knew that was married could bake. And they'd come to church with all these wonderful things, and I couldn't bake anything. So I learned to bake, and lo and behold, I still didn't get married, even though I could bake lots of lovely things if ever you want anything eaten. And all that did, trying to change myself, was make me lose sight of who I was in God, and how God viewed me, and how much actually I was loved by God. Yeah? Um, and then other people bless them, not their fault, but other people can sometimes make you feel really bad when you're single. They don't mean to. In fact, I hope they don't mean to, as well, so I'm going to have to have a word with them. But they say things like, you still haven't found a man yet. When you're in a ridiculous bridesmaid dress with heels like this, you've got a banging headache at your baby sister's wedding, surrounded by all your married siblings and their children. And well-meaning people say, still haven't found a man yet then, Rachel. I don't know why. I think I'm... Um, and the question in itself, if you break that up, still haven't found a man yet. That kind of implies that A, I should have been looking for one. So there was something wrong with me that I wasn't. That B, I was obviously not looking hard enough because I had not found one that wasn't weird and nutty and looked like George Clooney. And then C, it implies that actually I shouldn't be content with being single. That actually my purpose should have been to be looking for a man and I just hadn't tried hard enough. And so people don't mean to, but that's kind of their ideal, that, that married is better maybe than single, and that's what they want for you. And now I'm kind of telling you in a nutshell my kind of story about singleness, but actually it was really long and it was really difficult, and I wrestled with God for a really long time before I accepted that being single actually was a gift. And God used... His people, as in you guys and lots of other people at church, but he also used my non-Christian friends who interestingly were the least judgmental about the fact I wasn't married. They did not make comments like, you still haven't found a man yet then, Rachel. They were the ones actually that were the most supportive and the most encouraging of what I did with my life when I was single. Um, but actually what God did, he used his word and he used his spirit to show me how he sees me, um, the value that he puts on me. And in the end, actually, probably about 10 years ago, he gave me a real wake-up call. I love it when God does that, right? When he goes, I've been drip-feeding you, Rachel, and you're not listening, so I'm just going to talk to you directly. And he said to me, he said, actually, it's not your right to be married, Rachel. I did not promise you that you would get married. That was never a promise that God gave me. And in the end, what I was doing, I was souring my relationship with God by being cross with him about not giving me something that he had never said he was going to give me. He never promised me that. So, with God's help and a lot of other people's help, um, 
most days it's okay to be single. Some days when I have to take the bins out and mow the lawn, I wish I wasn't single. And then I look at my married friends and I realize, just because you're married doesn't mean to say you've got someone who's going to take the bins out and mow the lawn for you, does it? So I got over that. Um, but it kind of took other people a little bit longer to catch on with the fact that I was happy to be single. So I think when I was saying to people, no, actually, you know, God's really worked on me and I've decided, you know, that this is what God's got for me. Actually, it is a gift to be single. And I think some people kind of thought, oh, bless She's given up now. She's just pretending that she's all right with being single. And I don't think other people accepted it as quickly, actually, as I did. Um, and in, in particular, my lovely mum. Some of you have met my lovely mum. I do love my mum. And she was really worried, I think, that I'd been left on the shelf, to use her expression. And I could see that that really upset her. So that actually upset me, that she kind of thought I was left on the shelf. And there was lots of sighing when I went home and like, we're really worried about you and we just wish you would find someone. And I'm thinking, eh, look at your married children. Eh, their lives aren't so great neither. Why are you worried about me? But never mind. She was worried about me. Now, don't get me wrong. My mum, if you ever meet her, she is an awesome woman of God who shows how you can have faith in God in really difficult circumstances. My mum's been through an awful lot of things. But interestingly enough, she just didn't seem to have faith in God for my singleness. And I think that's because I'm a daughter. And so that touched her heart about what she wanted for me. But she didn't seem to be able to have faith for that. And I remember one time I thought, I can't be coping with this. I'm just going to have a word with her. Those of you that know me, you know what my words are like. Right? So mother, get here. We're having a chat. And I just asked her, I said, do you believe that God is in control? Again, I said, my mum's an awesome woman of God. So obviously the answer was, well, yes, Rachel, I believe God is in control. So I said, well, if you believe that, do you think then that somehow he's forgotten me or somehow he's lost control of the situation of my singleness? To which there was like a really big, long pause while she had a little think about that. And she was like, oh, actually... We've got to trust God in all circumstances, even if it doesn't look like the thing that we want it to look like. So for me, I'd accepted that, but my mum hasn't yet, yeah? She still wanted a few more grandchildren. She still wanted another wedding, and it wasn't coming her way. And I had to say to her, you know, God's not missed me out. He's not going to get to the back shelf of the cupboard one day and go, oh, no, Rachel's still there. Look, she's really dusty and everything. And the George Clooney lookalike's gone now, so I've got nobody to match her with, you know? God is always in control. There are no mistakes with God. He doesn't go, oopsie, I dropped the plate while I was spinning all those other plates and I've forgotten about here. God is always, always in control. Now, um, I would have to say, like I said, it's really difficult when people describe singleness as a gift. It's really difficult sometimes to see it as that. And I got to nearly 30 and I had like a bit of a breakdown about being nearly 30 and thinking I hadn't achieved anything. Because I was putting the achievements in the box of married, <laughs> staying at home, five children. And I hadn't got any of that. So I hadn't kind of felt like I'd achieved anything. And my older sister, who was also as blunt as I am, kind of sat me down and had another little chat with me and says, hey, can you have a little think about your life and all the things that you have done? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And in my singleness, I think I've been able to do things that I wouldn't have done if I had been married staying at home with no job and trying to look after five children. I wouldn't have been able to do them. So I'm being able to go on um, amazing mission trips to loads of different parts of the world, and they've really shaped 
and changed me and my relationship with God. I've been able to do respite fostering for Liverpool, um, and I did that for over five years. I looked after children with additional needs, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I had my own family, five of them. There wouldn't have been a house big enough. And I've been able to bless causes in a way that I think if I'd had to account to somebody else for my finances, I wouldn't have been able to do. And definitely, I know I wouldn't have been able to do if I had to clothe and feed five children. I wouldn't have been able to do what I've been able to do with my finances. And so because sometimes I was so busy thinking about the things that I hadn't done, I've forgotten the things that God had allowed me to do because I was single. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a sadness over being single. I don't want to kind of trivialize it because some people may still be in the phase that I was in in my early 20s or my mid-20s or my late 20s. You might be in that kind of mad panic of, oh, my goodness, I'm still single. And there is a real sadness and there is a real loss and a grief over accepting God's plan over mine. Um, but it wouldn't have been right to stay stuck in that sadness and that loss. Otherwise, I would be rocking in the corner somewhere and not standing up here talking to you about how good God was because I would have been overwhelmed by thinking that God wasn't good because he hadn't given me what I wanted. God doesn't owe me a husband. Like I said before, he never promised me that. So he doesn't owe me a husband. He's given me everything in Jesus that I'm ever going to need. And that might sound kind of trite to say, and especially if you're still struggling maybe with being single, but God does give us everything we need in every circumstance that we are in. Um, I don't know if you remember the film Jerry Maguire. You all look of a certain age that you would know the film Jerry Maguire, apart from Hannah and you lovely lady over there. You don't look like you'd know Jerry Maguire. Everyone else is old enough, right? And there's a scene in the lift where there's two deaf people signing to each other. And one of them signs to the other one, you complete me. And I used to go, <laughs> when you're single, you watch a lot of films that aren't good for you. Okay, just a little note there. You have to watch what goes through your eyes because it goes into your mind. And definitely some of the stuff, the chick flicks that I watched did not help me <laughs> to feel okay with being single. And I thought, oh, isn't that lovely? You just sighed it, you complete me. And then actually, when you unpick that, what a dangerous place to be in, to think that another person can complete you, that another person can fix you or make you whole. Because the only person that can do that is God. Regardless of whether you're single or married or divorced or with a partner, the only person that can complete you. And by the way, your children can't complete you either. Don't make them try and do that because they can't. <laughs> Yeah, that actually it's only God that does that. It's only God that completes us. Um, and what I wanted to do, just at the end of this little bit, there's another bit coming, don't you worry. Um, when I was saying before that when I was kind of praying about what God wanted me to do, and he just kind of made it clear that this is what he wanted me to talk about, he does that wonderful thing where he just uses lots of other things to talk to you. And so I was reading my UCB note, and I was going through and I was thinking about what to say, and this one said, God has a plan. Trust him. Written on the top. I thought, oh, okay, let's look at this one then. And it says, it's based on Ephesians 1, verse 11. And it says, he makes everything work out according to his plan. And like I said before, I had real difficulties. It was my plan, not his plan. I was not prepared to give up my plan. Um, so I'm just going to read from the Bible notes if that's okay. So the Bible says, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Sometimes we pray for a certain thing, believing it's good for us. I believe you me, I prayed a long time to be married. And my family prayed a long time. 
And I think my church prayed a long time and I think my friends prayed a long time because that's what we thought would be good for me. But God, who has a plan for your life, knows what would be good and what wouldn't be. Yeah? Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, I love, I love Billy Graham. I love Ruth Graham too. She said, if God had answered all her prayers when she was young, she'd have married the wrong man several times. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that would definitely be me. And then he tells a little story. He says, two teardrops were floating down the river of life. One asked the other, who are you? The second replied, I'm the teardrop from the girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? The first teardrop replied, I'm the teardrop of the girl who got him. You get that? Yeah. Hmm. That's the way life goes, isn't it? Sometimes we cry over, this is still from here, what we don't have. Not realizing we might have cried twice as hard if God had given it to us. Yeah. And I've looked at some of those blokes that I wanted to marry who then went on to get married. And I think, wow, thank you, God. Thank you for saving me from something that wouldn't have been right for me, even though at that time I was like, that's definitely right for me. It wouldn't have been right for me. The expression walking by faith means trusting the plan God has already worked out and he will reveal to you on a need-to-know basis. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And clearly for Paul, his contentment didn't come from his surroundings since he spent all but seven years of his ministry in prison. So where did it come from, his contentment? It came from the knowledge that God makes everything work out according to his plan. So does that mean that Paul understood every detail of God's plan? No. But when he didn't understand the plan, he trusted the planner. And that's where his joy and his contentment and his peace came from. And it says at the bottom, the same goes for you. And for me, that joy and that peace and that contentment only came when I stopped wrestling. And I started to trust in God. And I understood that I couldn't be cross at him for not giving me something that he'd never promised that he would give me. Now, for those of you that are keeping up, that are still awake, you're thinking, well, that's good. She says she's happy to be single. Um, it sounds like she loves the Lord. I do, by the way, I really do. And it sounds like she's kind of beginning to understand that she needs to trust in his plans and not kind of do her own plans. And you're thinking, she comes to church every week with an absolutely gorgeous, because he is, isn't he? Absolutely gorgeous blue-eyed boy, and he calls her mum. Hey up, what's going on there? Now, I did not decide to see what all the fuss was about, okay? I didn't watch too many romantic movies and think, ah, never mind, let's just give it a go. That's not how it happens, okay? So just as God definitely did not promise me that I was going to get married, he definitely promised me that I was going to be a mum. So that only part of the plan that was the same as his was the bit that said mum, yeah? So the rest of it, no. Not part of his plan, but the mum bit was. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story about that. But understandably, I can't tell you lots of stuff because actually my son's story is bound up in my story. And actually that's that's his story. That That's personal. And I hope one day that my son will stand up here and he will tell you his story about how God's worked in him. But that's not for me to say. So I'm going to tell you my part of it. So I don't know whether you know about Soul Survivor. Anybody been Soul Survivor? I hate camping. Who would do that? Why? Oh. But I used to take the youth of my friend's church, not even my own church, my friend's church, and we used to go. But God, um, in about 2005, it was when I went to Soul Survivor, God was really doing some work in me. He was breaking down some strongholds and lies that I believed about myself. I had um, an eating disorder in my early teens and into food in my early 20s. 
Um, and that's a whole nother story. And God was really working on me in Soul Survivor, trying to break down some lies and stuff that I believed about myself and replacing them with truth. And out of that um, came a verse in Isaiah uh, 58. Um, and it's the whole kind of thing is from verses 6 to 12, but I've just picked out a little bit. And the phrase, and it kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me, was you will rebuild their foundations. You will be known for repairing the broken places. And I really felt that God was telling me that I needed to foster. Now, my mum and dad had had done respites. I don't know whether you know what that is, but you just basically short break. So you look after children at the weekend whose maybe families are struggling and it helps them give them a break or the child's got additional needs. So my mum and dad had done that. And I thought, I could do that. That's fine. I'm all right with that. I like children who are a little bit crazy. I'll have a go at that. Um, and so I had to move out of my friend's house, which I liked very much, because uh, she didn't want children in her house. <laughs> Interestingly enough now, she's just adopted a little girl all by herself as well. Um, so, yeah, God works wonders, doesn't he? She had to move and buy another house that was big enough so she could have children. But I had to move out because she didn't want kids at this particular point in her house. Um, and I bought a family-sized three-bedroom house in Speak. Now there's, God's got to call you to Speak, I'm telling you. It's not somewhere you want to choose to live. Um, and the only reason I bought the house is I walked around with my friend Helen, whose house I lived in previously, and she went, you don't want to buy this. It's a family house. And that went, boom, straight to my heart. And God said, yes, you do. You want to buy this. It's a family house. Yeah. Sometimes people are really well-meaning, but you've got to ignore them. Yeah. And you've got to listen to God. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bought that house. Um, so I started to do respite in 2007 for Liverpool local authority for children with additional needs. And over uh, just over five years, I looked after four different children. I used to come every other weekend, so I was quite a busy lady. Um, and it was really amazing to be part of those children's lives and part of their families' lives and actually got to take some of them to church with me as well. So some of those kids have heard that God loves them. Um, some, one of them heard it repeatedly because he loved to come, and he came every, every time that he was with me. So once a month he heard that God telling him that he loved him. So who knows what will happen in his life later. Um, but I kind of began to feel God saying, and I don't know whether this has happened to you, where you kind of take a little step into something, and then God's kind of going, yeah, well done, but that's not actually what I wanted you to really do. So i done with respite because that was familiar. My mum and dad had done it. Um, I knew that I could do it every other weekend, and then I could give them back and go and lie on the couch, which is what I used to do for about three hours till I felt like I could get up and do something. But I felt like God saying to me, actually, you're just dipping your toe in what I've got for you. I want you to take a bigger step than the step that you've taken and that's scary because you kind of think, well, God, I'm doing what you asked me to do. Look, I'm, I'm finally following your plan. Why are you changing it now? Um, and I began to feel a real kind of pull to either foster or adopt. Um, and interesting enough, my heart was pulled by the kids that are on the permanent foster list. So I'm going to explain to you a little bit how that works. So these children, uh, bless them have been put up for adoption. So they've gone into the adoption magazines. Yeah, there's a magazine. You can flick through it and see their faces and read a little bit. You can go to meetings where their faces are on boards and you can decide whether you like the look of them or not. And you can go to meet the child parties where these children play like loonies with on bouncy castles and things like that. And you get to look at them and go, yeah, maybe you'd be all right. You'd fit in with my life, yeah? The children on the permanent foster list have done all of that. And nobody wanted them, either because their backstory was too big or their behavior was too challenging. And I kind of felt like God saying, look, Rachel, you did the respite, 
and that wasn't quite what I had for you. And the adoption is not quite what I've got for you because I would have gone for a baby. <laughs> I said, go and give me one small, yeah? And God was saying, actually, in terms of rebuilding foundations and broken places, I want you to take somebody that nobody wanted because in the end, isn't that what God did for us? Didn't he take us that nobody wanted? And he said, I want you, yeah? So in 2012, I started to look to change my job because I worked in Cheshire at that particular point. I worked with deafblind children. I ran Cheshire's MSI unit, multi-sensory impairment. Sounds posh, doesn't it? It was interesting. But for those of you that know Cheshire, I had to go over the Runcorn Bridge. You can't do that and have children. I would have been late for work every single day, and I would have been late to pick them up every single day. So I had to leave a job, which I have to say I absolutely loved. And I have not found a job that moves my heart anywhere near as much as that job did. Those kids were amazing that I worked with. But sometimes God asks us to give up things for other things to come. So I started to look for a new job. It wasn't going so well. Um, and I started to try and change my status because before then I was a respite foster carer and I wanted to change it to be a permanent foster carer with Liverpool. And that process was going really slowly and they weren't finding me any children and I was getting really irate and I was like, I'm going to Bernardo's, that's it. I've had enough. Um, but they still couldn't find me anybody. And then a friend at church who's a social worker, you all know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Becky. Yeah. She came up to me one day and I said, I've had enough. I'm going to Bernardo. She goes, don't go to Bernardo's. I was like, all right, okay. She says, Nosley, the authority that she worked for, she said, we've got loads of children on the permanent foster list. I was like, oh, okay. So I went to a meeting and I signed up and Nosley were really good and didn't make me do the whole thing over again. They just said, oh, you've already been registered. We'll take all of that on. You'll have to go on a couple of little meetings and then you'll be all right. And so then that week I started to look for a job in Nosley and I got the first job that I went for. After a year of looking in Liverpool, as soon as I started looking in Nosley, boom, done, finished. Um, so God had a plan, definitely. And he was waiting graciously and patiently for me to step into it. Now, there's no coincidences with God. It took me a long time. You know, I'm a little bit thick to step into what God wanted me to do. But actually, it didn't, if that makes sense, because my son was waiting for me at that school that I went to. That's where my son was, at the school that I moved to. So God knew it wasn't about me dragging my heels or being stubborn. Actually, it was waiting for me to be in the right place at the right time and teaching me stuff as we went along. So we know with God that there's no coincidences there. So there's no, oh, that just happened. God knew that Becky would talk to me on the same week that there was a fostering meeting so I could sign up, and then the same week that that job came up on the Nosley website. So there is no coincidences with God. He is always, always in control. Now, it's not been easy <laughs> to do, and it still isn't easy to do, what God has asked me to do, to rebuild foundations and broken places it's not easy, yeah? Um, okay. And I mentioned before in my plan that I was definitely a stay-at-home mum, wasn't I, yeah? You know, with them five kids and that George Clooney look-alike husband. Oof. Yeah, no. Um, so I kind of thought, all right, well, I've gone into the mum bit, so surely God is then going to honour that with the stay-at-home mum bit, yeah? I thought, yes, come on. No. It would appear that social services budget does not stretch to me being a stay-at-home mum. So I am a teacher. Anybody know any teachers? Yeah. 
it's not a nine to five job. <laughs> it's like about half past six in the morning till 12 o'clock at night job. Yeah. It's not easy to be a teacher and to be a mum. And for a long time, I was really cross with God that I didn't appear to be this stay at home mum. Again, missing out on the point that that was my plan, not his plan. And it's been really difficult to find that balance between being a good mum and a good teacher. I work with children with additional needs. I work with children with challenging behavior and learning difficulties. And I go home to an incredibly complex little boy. And so it sometimes feels like a busman's holiday. So although I've got a skill set that helps my son, it also means sometimes I come home and I go, I've had this all day. And I'm looking at it. And he doesn't deserve that. But that's because of the job that I've got. Now, I argue with God. Anybody else argue with God? Let's be honest. We all do, don't we? And David did in the Psalms, and that's what I love about the Bible. It's so honest. So I have argued with God about that, and I have cried with God about that, and I have said, you are killing me slowly. I can't do this and that. I can't do them well. But actually, again, God is just patiently showing me bit by bit. I have not got it wrong. If you were supposed to not have a job, you would not have a job. If you were supposed to have enough money from social services to quit, then I would make that happen because God is the God of the impossible like we heard this morning, yeah? So if that was supposed to happen, it would have happened, yeah? There've also been some really big curveballs <laughs> that God keeps throwing my way and I keep thinking, seriously, like this is hard enough as it is and then you're giving me that as well, yeah? But again, that is just God. Lean on me, Rachel. Press into me, Rachel. Try not to rely on your own strength. I told you before, I'm a wall person. You ask me I'm okay, I'm going to tell you I'm okay, even if I am not, yeah? And my first port of call is always to go to myself rather than God. And I'm telling you, when you've got nothing of you left, the only place to go is God. And what I've been learning is actually that's the first place I need to go. Rather than go to myself and my own strengths and my own skills, I need to go to God first. And that's what he's teaching me. <clears throat> now, my friend last year, well, she bought me a prophetic present for my birthday. Not a pathetic one, a prophetic one. It was a nice present. And it was a little cupboard of heart-shaped drawers. And she said to me, oh, I felt that God was telling me to tell you that actually there's more for you. There's more drawers to open. And there's more hearts that you need to touch. And I felt like telling my friend where she could stick a present even though it was nice. I was like, you kidding me? I'm trying to juggle what I'm doing already. And I'm struggling with that. And you're telling me God has got more for me. I don't think so. But again, stop my little rant. Had a little word with God. What is that more? What is it that you've got for me? Because if God gives you something to do, he's going to give you the strength to do it. He's going to give you the skills to do it. And so since then, I've been coming involved in, it's called the Nosley Attachment Network. So lots of our children who have or in care have difficulties with being connected with other people as a result maybe of trauma or loss or abuse or inadequate parenting. And so what we're trying to do is we're making a toolkit to give to Nosley schools to help them to be more aware and help them to support children who've experienced trauma and loss. And I go around and I deliver training on my day off um, to educate schools so that they can better provide for children uh, like my son. And um, that's difficult to do. That's my day off. But I feel like God's saying, but that's what I've got for you so far. Goodness only knows what's going to come next. But I will give you the strength that you need to do to do those things. Now, throughout all of this, the story of being single and the story of being a single mum, 
God has been faithful when I definitely haven't. I hope you've got a taste of that, that actually it's not about me being faithful in the slightest. I'm quite a cross little person with the walls around me. Yeah, it's about God being faithful, not me. And he steadied me when I felt like I was going to fall. And he's removed obstacles and he's built bridges when making a way over things seemed impossible. Um, and he has always, always been faithful. And one of the kind of signature verses that I had, and we all love this verse, don't we? Everybody knows it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I knew the background of that verse, but I don't know whether everybody else did before we started looking at Ezra. 70 years, 70 years in exile, 70 years not being able to see where their God was. Yeah, But that was still the promise that they had. And sometimes I think we're quite trite with that verse. And when somebody's struggling with something, we say, oh, but God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you. And actually someone's going, seriously, but I'm still stuck or I'm still in pain or this is still not going away or this is still difficult. Yeah. And it took me ages to realize when looking at that verse that it says, I know the plans, not Rachel. I will tell you all of my plans or Rachel, I like your plans better than mine. Let's ditch my plan and make you a stay-at-home mum with five children and a George Clooney husband. You see, I like George Clooney, yeah? <laughs> that actually, it isn't about that. God knows the plans that he has for you. And when it says plans to prosper you and not harm you, that might look different from the good thing that you keep asking God for that you think you should have. It might look different from that. God is always in control. When you can't trust the plan, and believe me, when I look at God's plan, I think, seriously, that was a stupid plan. It was very flawed. What were you doing? Yeah. But even though I didn't understand the plan, I know that I can trust the plan, that God is in control. So my story with God, my Savior, is not finished yet by any means. Maybe in a couple of years' time, I'll be stood up and I'll be telling you some more about what God can do. Um, but it says in Acts 20, verse 24, it says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord. Yeah? Now, a little kind of weird of caution there. <laughs> we actually need to make sure we know what that work is. We need to make sure that it's God's will that we're doing and that we aren't chasing dreams and hopes that God has not given us. The last couple of weeks in church, it's been really encouraging. We've had lots of kind of talks that are about promises and hopes and dreams and God fulfilling those and God being able to do the impossible. Make sure you know what those hopes and dreams and promises are that God has given you. Because I could have been stuck chasing after that promise of being married and not done the things that God wanted me to do. But that wasn't a promise that God gave me. Yeah, We, we need to know what is it that God has promised us. What is the work that he has got for us to do? And he might not tell us all of it. He might tell you bits and bits like he's done with me. Yeah, But it says in Ephesians 5, this is 15 to 17. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I could have still been stuck in sadness and bitterness over being single. And I have some beautiful, beautiful friends that are still in that place. So still my age and, and still stuck waiting for someone to complete them, not reaching what I think that God has got for them because they're stuck there. Or I could have tried to make my plan of being married and have five children work anyway, in spite of God. There was quite a few oddballs in my mid-twenties that wanted to marry me. I could have said yes to them. 
I'm glad I didn't. But sometimes we do that. We think, well, this is what God has promised me, so I will make it happen. Yeah? But we've got to be careful. Is that what God has planned for us? Now, if I'd have done all of that, I would have missed out on my Nathan. I would have missed out on my son. This is a bit that's going to get me. I would have missed out on my gift from God. That's what his name means. And when I was working out who I was going to have, and there he was in my school, God said to me, find out what his name means. So I went swimming, and God just kept saying to me, find out what his name means. Find out what his name means. So I got out of the swimming pool, Googled it. Gift from God. So despite the fact that it is the insane choice, and trust me, it's an insane choice as a single person to choose to look after my son. It's insane. Yeah? But he is my gift from God. And he is teaching me loads and loads of stuff about who God is and how God loves us and that passion that God has for us when we are unwanted, when we are broken, when our foundations are knocked down. Um, so, there we go. I knew I would get going on that bit. Um, I wanted to finish. Oh, I'm on time with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know whether anybody know Elizabeth Elliot. Probably people are more familiar with Jim Elliot, who's a husband who got his head chopped off when he went to go to a tribe, a mis- uh, to be a missionary to a tribe. And I love him, and I've got his books. That's great. His awesome, awesome wife went back there with her children. Yeah? Now, that is a lady whose life did not work out the way she would have planned it. Yeah? But she loved God and she was faithful. Sometimes we talk too much about him and not enough about her. And she says that one of her quotes is, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I'm just going to say that again. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. So throughout being single and being a single mum when it's been really difficult, the difference isn't that God would change that, God would take that away, that God would give me a husband that's really good looking and mows the lawn and takes the bins out. The difference is Christ, not me being in a different set of circumstances. It's Christ. So I kind of just wanted to finish with, because we always like to have a little bit of a reflection to help us to think, that whatever your circumstances are, hopefully, just from a little bit from today, you're knowing that you can trust the planner, that even if those circumstances do not look like you would want them to look, yeah, that we can trust God, that he is faithful when we are not faithful. And he will make everything work out according to his plan.